0: Dealers need service revenue to stay profitable, and as vehicles become increasingly complex, consumers need service and repair guidance now more than ever. But with the majority of consumers defecting from service bays by the fifth year of ownership, dealers aren't just losing that revenue, but also a chance to influence the next purchase. Enter Kelly Blue Book Service Advisor, where consumers search for the information they need. Trusting they can find the right repair partner for a fair price. Partner with Service Advisor, part of the number one most trusted third-party automotive brand, and turn your service center into a profit center.
1: Hello and welcome to the Auto Remarketing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Overby, Senior Editor of Auto Remarketing. We're recording this episode from the Auto Intel Summit here in mid-April in Raleigh. And joining me today is Jason Ferrari, who is the Executive Vice President of Customer Solutions at Car Global, Jason. Thanks for uh, for being on the podcast and uh, good to see you again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Joe. <laughs> I feel like we just talked. <laughs> we just did. <laughs> we uh, for our listeners, Jason and I just just wrapped up a panel discussion with a, a few others on on balancing brick and mortar and digital auctions. Jason, when it comes to your your customers' digital wholesale strategy. Um, what are some ways that Car Global helps point them in the right direction? Yeah. Well, so first of all, great panel. Thank you.
2: Did you. A great job. Thank you. Um, yeah. Good question. I think. We are in a unique position at Car Global Joe, having, first of all, at we like to say at the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. So that's open lane for us. Yeah. That's all these off-lease cars that before they have a chance to go in any other wholesale channel, any other venue, they come through the open lane funnel. Okay? We support over 40 OEMs in North America. And the reason I bring that up is, from a digital perspective, it gives us a very unique position, because we get the kind of early view of that inventory. You know, what, what's coming back, when it's coming back. We even have, obviously, access to kind of what the equity position is on those vehicles, which, as you know, in the last few years, Nearly every off these car has been coming back mm-hmm. in equity, right? But as that starts to shift, and we do think that that will start to shift, I don't know what your thoughts are, but we do start to, we're already seeing it, that that equity position between residual value and market value started to shrink, that more vehicles are going to enter the funnel, so to speak, the yeah. true wholesale funnel that many of us are accustomed to. So we sit down with the customers, particularly those OEMs and captives, off these vehicles, we're doing some really deep, heavy kind of portfolio analysis to say, okay, what does your inventory look like moving forward? What should we expect in this funnel? And now how do we start to capitalize? It's almost like having to retrain the muscle. We haven't had to really worry too much about you know wholesale transactions and trying to bring the buyer to the car because everything's just been selling so automatically. So right now we're having those conversations. I think good news from our perspective and as someone who, you know, is a for-profit company when vehicles transact in the wholesale life cycle. Most of those OEMs and captives, Joe, are indicating that they do see more cars coming back later this year, do see that equity position reversing. So that's good news from our perspective. But then they're challenging us and saying, okay, What are we going to do differently to be able to make sure that we're still maximizing value, right? Those OEMs and captives have done really well the last few years, and I don't think they're going to want to return to some of the financial results that they would have had in years past, right? They've gotten used to. They've gotten used to how things are are, are doing so well there. So how can we do that? What are some things that we can do? I mean, a lot of it, again, I've talked about data. starts with data. You know, how do you help them optimize their portfolio? Uh, what venues to sell in, uh, help them with pricing decisions and then from our job, you know, we're a marketplace creator, so we gotta make sure that the buyers are there, you know, for those vehicles. So I mean kind of a long answer or, you know, I'm sure we can have some back and forth, but it's a lot of consultative approach at this point to sit down and look through the data and then make sure that we're prepared for when these vehicles do
1: start coming back. Yeah. So you know the we've seen different analyses that say <laughs> the off lease off lease inventories as It has been tight and it's expected to to remain that way, but how have you seen, based on what you're able able to share and kind of determine in the digital space, how are wholesale volumes faring in the digital space in terms of segment type, you know, off-lease, off-rental, repo dealer, et cetera? Any, any more, that, any, some, any segments that are stronger, more yeah. challenged than others? Yeah,
2: well, they're all challenged. Yeah. <laughs> they're all challenged, but it's a good question. We talked a little bit about, I, we kind of just answered a little yeah. bit about the lease segment, so maybe I'll take a look at the other ones. I'd say the one segment that not necessarily is directly digital, Joe, but the one segment that has remained fairly constant is the repossession segment. Right? So repossessions have remained, and they've actually seen a little bit of an uptick in the last really nine to 12 months. Start to see more and more repossessions coming back into the funnel. We'll keep mm-hmm. using that terminology. And then the challenge there, at least for us as a primarily digital company, is how do we move more of those repossessions into the digital channel? Mm-hmm. Typically at this point, when you think about it, Joe, off lease vehicles, they're selling almost entirely digitally yeah. today. Yeah. Okay? Will they return to, there may be 50/50 mix that they were pre-covid we don't think so we think that you know i don't know what the right number will be and every customer will be different but our anticipation is that those off lease vehicles will sell probably 70 to 75% digitally the repo excuse me rental vehicles are selling mostly digitally this, mm-hmm. at this point whether the rental car companies themselves are selling them or they're using their wholesale partners most of those vehicles are selling digitally the one segment that is very low in digital sales is repossessions, right? There's a variety of reasons for that. Some of those are legal. Some of those are you know, notice of intents. And this is the fact that every state has different regulations yeah. makes it a challenge. But it's a challenge that at Car Global, that again, we're really excited to tackle to try to see can we help move the industry and move the space so that some repossessions can be sold digitally. Overcome some of those barriers I mentioned that are legal and regulatory while also providing that same experience that buyers and sellers really seem to appreciate in the digital realm. Let's kind of move the repossessions in there. So there have been more repossessions in the last nine to 12 months. We're also very fortunate there. We have this little company. I guess they're not really a little company. I shouldn't say that. We have a company called RDN, and mm-hmm. many of the folks here will know them. You may have familiarity, but RDN is this gem of a, of a data trope because over 90% of the repossessions in the United States, we have visibility into them using RDN because yeah. the repo, either consumers are consigning repos via that system, assign I should say assigning repos there, or the repo agents are using that tool. So we have this great visibility into the repossessions. So I mentioned we have great visibility in the off-lease cars uh, with via open lane. We have great visibility into repossessions with RDM. So all those segments are challenged. We do think that the volume is coming back gradually, Joe. I mean, we're done predicting things because we've been wrong in every other prediction, but you have to think that you know, new car production is increasing, right? We're seeing that. That's factual. Wholesale prices have increased recently, but we do believe that those wholesale prices are going to decrease throughout the rest of this year, which should create a little bit more supply in the used car space across all the segments that you mentioned.
1: Does it surprise you at all? Well, I guess with, with the repo volume specifically, has I assume that was somewhat impacted by COVID, where there was a moratorium on, has have we sort of moved past that. we moved, moved? past, that. Okay. Yeah, from again, I'm not, you
2: know, in talking to lenders, they would yeah. be the better folks, and some of them are here. But yeah, right. from, to my knowledge, Joe, we've kind of moved past that moratorium, yeah. and if anything, there may be even some more aggressive repossession because there maybe there's a little bit of a there was a little bit of a. of of things that occurred during that moratorium. So yeah, that's one of the reasons why you've seen repossessions pick back up after that moratorium that you referenced. Yeah, Yeah. good good observation.
1: You talked about this a little bit on our panel just now, but, you know, Car recently completed the integration of the Backlog cars and CarWave platforms. And what are some ways you're seeing some of those benefits play out for customers in terms of more flexibility, but also having sort of one... Platform that they can go to for for different functions. Yeah. Well, you you like you said, you kind of answered the question
2: for me. You did a, good, you did a really good. You want to, you want to come on our side, Joe? Um, no. Yeah. So, like you said. Um, There was a combination of two separate marketplaces. Mm -hmm. Again, you mentioned their names, Backlot Cars at CarWave. They're they're in one marketplace today. So we're not fragmenting the buyer base. That's good, right? That's good for buyers, and it's even better for sellers, right? They know that when they put the vehicle in a marketplace, they have that opportunity to see everything in one place. And then the other thing that I would like to, I guess, touch on is... Within that marketplace, there are essentially two different formats. There's mm-hmm. a there's a kind of a you know standard I always call it a static format, but it's the twenty-four seven marketplace. Yeah. List a vehicle, it's available for a day or three days or a week. I mean that's all configurable, and that's a very successful marketplace, will continue to be. But then there's this idea of an auction. And those of us that came up kind of in the auction business have always tried to figure out a way how do you replicate the excitement and the energy that comes from not necessarily a physical auction, but from the auction process. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people mistake those and I'm not trying to this is not a knock against the physical auction or the physical auction process something I love but when you realize at the end of it it's really that auctioning process um, that, that excites that energy so we do have an auction format now in, in backlot cars It actually came with car waves so because car Wave mm-hmm. was using the auction format we've integrated that auction format into backlot and now with this diversity of vehicles and the ability for sellers to post their vehicles in a, in a timed Sale, non-sequential. Does that make sense to you? So mm-hmm. the reason I bring that up is, we always, I always believed that I'm so used to the physical auction process and everything sells from run number one to run number one hundred. Yeah, right. Goes in order, and you, and we've tried to mimic that in some online sales in the past, digital sales, and they haven't been very effective. These sequential sales. Yeah. The auction format that I'm discussing that we have on Backlot Cars is a time sale It lasts for two hours. Today, it could go longer if we wanted. Uh, every vehicle has
1: bidding on it, but it's
2: not sequential.
1: Okay? So is it whenever the seller decides to start it?
2: No, we keep, we put them all in a singular event. Great question. Oh, okay. Great question. So, for example, we have two sales a week. One's on Monday and one's on Thursday. They mm-hmm. run from noon to 2 o'clock Eastern. Okay. I believe those times are right. Again, that's all configurable, but that's yeah. where we've kind of said today. And we said, if you want to participate... To the sellers, that's when the auction is, just like a physical auction. Yeah. Create an event-based excitement. So, twelve to two, two hours. Now you're not confined. You know the example I talked about a sequential auction is you can't have a thousand car sequential auction, yeah. right? It, it would last seven eight hours. Can't do that. You can have a thousand car timed auction. You allow the buyer to create their filters, create their search. You know, bid on the vehicles they want to bid on. Leave their computer. Come back at the end if they would like place proxy bids, but you're not wasting their time. And I'm, you know, try trying to have a prolonged sequential sale. That was one of the things we learned in past experiences: is people don't want to sit behind a computer screen and wait for run number 125 to show up, and then find out that. The seller is motivated that day, and they have a low conversion. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, having this timed auction has proven very successful for us. We're really just rolling it out, starting it in California because that's where Car Wave was, was, mm-hmm. was dominant in that marketplace. So, we're starting it there. They were pretty familiar with it to begin with, and kind of moving it throughout the country. And we've just seen great results, Joe, in the fact that it's a we're selling a higher dollar car in that auction process than we do in the marketplace, and we're seeing higher conversions. Yeah. And, you know, at least we think a better buyer experience for that timed event auction format. Does that make sense? I know it's it a mouthful. No, no,
1: no, no. It, it makes total sense because as you were talking about it, it made me think of the way we've done our uh, fantasy football drafts online. Okay. Where you have we, – <laughs> we've gone to this format where it, it is it kind of has been a sequential one. And Correct. Just takes, the snake draft. The snake draft, forever. right? Forever. But if we did a timed, then it's like it becomes more of an event. It's like – Yep. Like, move quickly and just get through and it adds to the excitement. Even though we're all behind our computers, you that's know, right. throughout that's the right. country. It, it, and now you're bidding on the players versus doing them
2: in the snake trap, And you still right? have that excitement. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe we are going fantasy football on this <laughs> podcast
1: right now. This is fantastic. Well, I, you know, our, our readers and listeners know that anytime me or Nick get the chance to, to weave in sport, we're both former <laughs> sports writers, so... Oh, that's right, that's Any time right. we get to it's talk it. sports, we'll, we'll do it. But.
2: And I'll just add, I, I'd like to, you know... We've got some things that we're really excited about Mm -hmm. towards the end of this year that we'll continue to talk about those convergence of marketplaces. Mm -hmm. You know, to try to, again, try to bring everything together as much as you can under one roof and then add feature and function that makes sense to both parties. I think another, I've talked a lot about mistakes, and I, I only say that because I, maybe because I've been doing this so long, Joe, but I think we learn more from some of the mistakes we've had. And I think, at least from my experience, some of the mistakes that I've made being in this digital environment is sometimes thinking that jamming cool feature functions, things that product people come and say, this is amazing, that we jam them into products. Sometimes it elongates our, our time to, to, to get it to market and they're not really used. Mm-hmm. So much different approach. Luckily, much smarter people are running our product shops now and they're really listening. And we talked a lot about that today on the panel as well. Listening to your buyers, listening to your sellers, just keep it simple Make it transparent. Make it consistent. Make it easy to use. We've all have shorter attention spans, so less on like jamming a bunch of cool features, functions, and more on kind of getting right in, getting getting business done. Get in, get out. So that's kind of the approach that we've evolved to. Yeah, and to your point, that yeah. was
1: that was one of the first things you mentioned on the panel day was just listen, listen yeah. to what they have to say. But well, lastly, as as we wrap up day one of the Auto Intel Summit. You know, were getting ready to start the last session here. What have been some of the themes and, and discussions that have stood out to you?
2: Yeah, you know, this is my first Auto Intel Summit, to be honest. And again, been in the industry a long time. I was telling I was telling Bill as a diet's as well that I'm really impressed with, first of all, the conference. Thank you. Really good vibe, uh, small kind of group settings, yeah. all of the presenters feel like they're engaged with the audience. There's not a it's not a one way conversation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I have specific themes that I can pull out of uh, the topics. I've enjoyed all the sessions I have went to, but I guess the overall takeaway I have right now is is you guys have done a really nice job here. It's a beautiful part of the country, but you're bringing and it's a an diverse crowd. I guess yeah. that's the other thing I should have mentioned yeah. is you know some of the other uh, conferences that we go to, fantastic, but. This crowd has more diversity to it, even though it might be a little smaller than some of the others. So I've caught up with people I haven't seen in many years. They've moved into different areas and industries, and I'm getting a different perspective. Even after being around for so long, it's great to kind of be able to meet people in different parts of our, or different parts of the uh, uh, of our ecosystem here. So I think that's my takeaway. You've done a great job, and I commend you on that.
1: Well, that is a good a point as any to leave on, Jason. Thank you so much for the time. And thanks. thanks for joining us today and being part of the summit and being part of our panels. And uh, good seeing you as well. Thanks, Jim. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's going to do it for today's episode of the Auto Remarketing Podcast. And stay tuned for more from the Auto Intel Summit.
0: need service revenue to stay profitable. And as vehicles become increasingly complex, consumers need service and repair guidance now more than ever. But with the majority of consumers defecting from service bays by the fifth year of ownership, dealers aren't just losing that revenue, but also a chance to influence the next purchase. Enter Kelly Blue Book Service Advisor, where consumers search for the information they need. Trusting they can find the right repair partner for a fair price. Partner with Service Advisor, part of the number one most trusted third-party automotive brand, and turn your service center into a profit center.